Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to Observations. Good to have you with us today. We are going to jump right into a subject that I, I can't believe I haven't discussed before. And, and, and it was one of the first on the list for when we started season two. And it is, uh, it's crazy because this subject in and of itself uh, could go on and may in fact be multiple parts because it is that expansive and it is uh, that impactful. I mean, it really uh, hit comic books and changed comic books, continuing to the comic books that we are picking up today. And that is sword and sorcery, fantasy comic books. That uh, This is is it a genre that has dominated for for uh, years and years and years, and it started really the modern day sword sorcery fantasy comic book movement began with Marvel's decision to publish Conan the Barbarian. Now, the, the, the cool thing is that fantasy, because Conan sets off basically a, a, an arms race in terms of sword and sorcery uh, styled characters and heroes throughout the comic books industry that runs for about uh, a, a solid decade and then starts to peter off somewhat. But again, when you realize that, that Marvel held the license from 1970 to 2000 on Conan, okay, and eventually Dark Horse took it over and Marvel didn't actually publish Conan comics for the last couple of years of that deal. But for, I mean, that's a 30-year stretch. And, and if you uh, are not aware of the impact Conan had, especially when sales took off, and we're going to really get into the teeth of, of what turned for Conan because it was wobbly there at first. It, it launched like a rocket kind of found its way and then just skyrocketed and, and eventually became multiple families of titles. But but really the licensing alone, the licensing on Conan was, was crazy. And again, a way to uh, judge and equate how popular this character is. And this is long before the Schwarzenegger movie. Okay. This is long before the Arnold Schwarzenegger film hits. And, 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 you know, in, in movies, we really uh, see the modern you know, movie pop culture era that we're in, uh, Lord of the Rings was, is, is, is the, is the catalyst for almost everything that, that followed. I mean, without Lord of the Rings, you're not getting Game of Thrones and, and you're not getting Shadow and Bone on Netflix today. And you, you, we are not living in this new age of fantasy, which, which in, in film and pop culture, it, it, it took some time to, to get off the ground. I mean, kids my age in, in 1980, 81, Dragon Slayer, um, you know, th- there was a lot of different attempts to, to Beastmaster. I mean, uh, again, the Conan film definitely set off its own kind of barbarian shirtless guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get to shirtless guy in a minute because the, 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 there's a funny term in regards to all these fantasy heroes, but uh, today is going to be a great journey. The modern pop fantasy that we enjoy in in film started 20 years ago, but literally we are 51 years out from the the comic book that really brought uh, the, the fantasy genre it punched it through to pop culture. I mean, we're talking calendars, we're talking we're talking gold coins, stamps action figures, all of this stuff is because Marvel takes a flyer and follows Roy Thomas's muse, uh, who was the, you know, Wonder Boy successor to Stan Lee, publisher, editor-in-chief, uh, all the different hats that he would wear. 
he uh, he he pursued uh, Conan based on uh, his friend's desire to see Marvel Comics adapt the the, the Robert E. Howard uh, uh, Conan novels because they were picking up in 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 steam and picking up in popularity and and he Roy himself has gone on record that Gil Kane who is one of the great comic book artists that ever lived uh first ballot hall of fame from from all of his work at, at DC on the Atom to being cover artist for Marvel for for several years in the 70s I mean literally sometimes doing every cover um if there was 15 covers out that week of a Marvel comic, and they used to ship that many. Gil Kane is drawing all of them, okay? I mean, Gil Kane is, uh, he, he would do a stint on Conan. He would come back and forth. Green Lantern, The Atom. I mean, uh, uh, Gil Kane, Daredevil. I mean, this guy is is uh, just a storied figure in the comic book world, and he, at the time, very influential, you know, dragging on Roy Thomas. Why don't you get those Conans? Why don't you get those Conans? You need to get Marvel to, to publish those Conan books. So, he investigates. So, so here's where we start. Here's where our our our, our trail the, the the trail begins with these breadcrumbs of I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this license. Okay, so this is you know 1969. Roy recounts that he is looking into the license, and he figures honestly that uh, that Conan is going to be too expensive. He 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 believes that Conan is going to be too expensive, and it will be prohibitive to him uh, attempting. You know, his his it will be prohibitive in regards to his pursuit of trying to get this for Marvel Comics, and he has to answer to his boss, uh, Martin Goodman, who who is um, by Roy's. I don't know this man. I have never encountered him. By Roy Thomas and several others' accounts, uh, Mr. Goodman was known as somewhat of of a cheapskate. Okay, so they they they, they again not my words. These are Roy's because he actually. Um, puts into very he puts it very clear that he <laughs> while he had read some Conan books was familiar with the Frank Frazetta Conan paintings on the covers you know he knew he had a basic knowledge of who Conan was having read a couple of the books and uh, and because Gil Kane is 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 saying you know you should, you should get the rights you should get the rights uh, now here's the deal Conan comics had been published in Mexico there are Mexican versions of Conan comics uh, there's also uh, Crom the Barbarian and and other uh, Crow that they, they called him something else but but he had a brief uh, non uh, American publisher uh, uh, produced comic books in Mexico I believe in the fifties and the sixties but but so far the the traditional Conan the Barbarian popular set of novels by by Robert E Howard had not been published in in the in in, in comic books as we the American comic book scene. So, uh, so the thing is that uh, he investigates and thinks this is going to be too much money. Okay, so uh, Martin Goodman uh, always said that if you're going to go, you know, if you're going to go out and pursue something like this, you got to put a memo out. You got to, you got to, you got to, you know, keep me on on board here. And and he really figured that Conan was going to be. Too expensive because Conan was was becoming, especially in in, in regards to pulp novels, was a, was a household name in that genre. Uh, Roy had read another Barbarian series called Thonagar. Thonagar will eventually be published by Marvel based on Conan's breakaway success. But at this point, he's reading Thonagar 
he said Stan Lee really liked the name. It's the kind of name Stan loved. And he figured that already planning that he couldn't get Conan, he could get Thonagar. And uh, <laughs> Martin Goodman had given him the approval that he could spend $150 on a license. $150 to secure a license, Conan, Thonagar, whatever he decides to bring back in. He calls uh, the, 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 the representative for the Thonagar license. And, uh, you know, and, and Roy even says he, he recognized Thonagar wasn't one for the ages. And uh, he made his offer, $150 for Thonagar. Because, again, Roy Thomas believes Conan is out of his, his, his ballpark. The, the, the agent for Thonagar said, uh, said, I believe Thonagar's author is Lynn Carter. The agent says, hey, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. Like, hey, thanks. Thanks for the offer. We'll get back to you. Um, and, and, and Roy's like, you know what? It's because it wasn't enough money. He's like, I, it wasn't enough money. $150 isn't going to get anybody to sneeze. But again, this is 1969-70. I don't know where that fits in terms of the, the, the licensing. I have done licenses. I paid a couple thousand dollars to get the Battlestar Galactica license in 1991 because nobody wanted it. Nobody was using it. It was not being pursued. They couldn't believe I wanted it. My pursuit of that license actually got Battlestar Galactica toys. And novels, Richard Hatch, who I hired to write a few issues, rest in peace, Richard, sweet guy, uh, from Streets of San Francisco, and of course, Apollo, the, the immortal representation of my favorite character on Battlestar Galactica, Apollo. Yes, I liked Apollo more than Starbucks, but Richard Hatch came on, he did the comics, he got a book deal to write Battlestar Galactica novels uh, after working from, he even thanked me in the foreword to his novel, which I was floored by, because he said like this door was open via the relicensing of the comics. Now, again, I, I was paying $5,000 um, a year on a three-year contract to, uh, to to Universal Studios at the time because they had... So, again, if you're... if You know, you went from nothing, bringing in nothing that you can say, show your boss, I'm pulling in $15,000 for the the, 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 you know, the comic book rights and once they start doing the po comics, we'll go out and drum up other rights. And that's exactly what they did. So, I don't know what the value of $150 in that day is. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, the agent was dragging his feet getting back to Roy, so he decided to investigate a little more. He actually, this is a great story, Roy Thomas gets a Conan novel at the bookstore, okay? And in the back of, uh, of, the, um, of, of, the, uh, of the comic, uh, of, the, of the book, of the pulp Conan novel that he gets on the way to the subway, in the back it gives the literary agent's address, number, everything. So... Roy writes the letter to Glenn Lord, the literary agent for the Robert E. Howard estate. And he said, I can offer you $200 for the rights to Conan because he figures the Thonagar didn't bite. The Thonagar guy, Thonagar the Barbarian, didn't bite because it was $150. So he offers $200. Uh, he says he was terrified that Martin Goodman was going to hear that he had gone $50 above because Martin Goodman... Uh, is quoted as saying, I didn't say $151. I said, you have $150. So he goes to the agent of the Robert E. Howard estate, great name, Glenn Lord, and says, we can give you $200. Glenn Lord responds immediately and says, yeah, we're going to go. Let's do it. And uh, he thought this would be a great, the, the, the agent, thought this would be a great exposure for Conan and help get him out there if he was in a Marvel comic book. So, uh, so, 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 you know, uh, 
Thonagor's off the table. Conan, the one he thought was out of his league, um, they're in business. Lord accepted that Robert E. Howard Estate is on board. They're going to do a Conan comic book. But because he overpaid, uh, <laughs> so they couldn't use the better talent. Martin Goodman tells Roy Thomas, you cannot be using the expensive talent on this book. I need cheaper page rates, which is why they could not get John Buscema to launch Conan the Barbarian. This is a blessing in disguise if you follow Conan and his history. And I have my slabbed 6.5 Conan signed by Stan Lee because uh, he was the publisher and signed by Roy Thomas. Yeah, yeah, my my beautiful 6, 6.5 graded Conan number one is in my safe, in my CGC slab. So so Barry Windsor Smith, that, at that point, there is no Windsor. He's just Barry Smith. He had done some Avengers. He had done some X-Men. Um, they, they described that, that this was a chance for Barry to break out of his Jack Kirby mode where he was referred to as by the publisher as a Jack Kirby clone. Now, now they liked him for that. Roy Thomas and Stanley actually preferred that he could pull off the power, the gesture of Kirby so well as he did in his Avengers issues and his, and his, his X-Men job. But they go to Barry because he fits the page rate because John is deemed as far too expensive for this job. John is a top flight Marvel artist drawing Avengers, Fantastic Four, their, their flagship titles. And so they're not going to pull him off to uh, to do to do Conan. So so Roy uh, is Bar- Barry Smith is Roy's second choice. He contacts Barry. Barry's in England at the time. He had been deported back because he didn't have a green card. Um, but he is anxious to engage with Roy Thomas in adapting uh, the Conan material. He Roy sends him a stack of the Conan paperbacks. Uh, Barry studies up and guys, they're off to the races. Okay. Um, you know, uh, he, again, he felt like that, that Barry's knowledge of Kirby's staging and power and figure dynamics is perfect for an approach to get Conan. And and, and it's kind of a Marvel approach to Conan. And and if you've read the comics and you, if you're aware, you're not going to argue with this. It's, it's a hundred percent on the money. This is great stuff. And so, you know, uh, he and, and, uh, and, and Barry, set out to adapt Conan and it launches and immediately it is ridiculously successful out the gate. You know, shirtless guy, no costume, loincloth, axes, swords, shields, you know, early on that horned helmet. Now here's the, here's the deal. Let me, let me, let me kind of also reset your history clock on this a little and give you some more background. Conan is not Robert E. Howard's first barbarian. That is actually King Cole, or Cole the Destroyer, as he's later known. Cole was the first barbarian that Robert E. Howard wrote stories of. And Cole uh, was more of an intellectual, more of a, a thinking... Uh, I mean, literally, they, they called him like the more intellectual warrior, the, the, the more cerebral uh, of, of the kind of barbarian types because he was a king and he ruled and, and he has ties to Atlantis and a lot more kind of mysterious history. Conan... Uh, is is take Robert E. Howard takes a, his third Conan King Cole story that he was going to publish, and and instead of doing Cole, he decides in the middle to change it to Conan, and Conan is more brash, more erratic, more temperamental. I mean, the thing about Conan that, that you'll re, re, read in all of these early dissertations, and it would be interesting launching a Conan the Barbarian type in this climate that we live in today in 2021. The thing with Conan is he's a brawler. He's a pirate. He's a thief. He's not a good guy. He is a barbarian. He's a plunderer. 
and he also treats women uh, in, in, in a very caveman-esque fashion. He is, in every um, sense of the word, a barbarian, okay? And, and so they put him out there very true to how he's depicted. Okay, again, so, so, so just so you know, because Marvel is going to go and they're going to buy the Call of the Destroyer license based on the heat that they're getting from Conan, you know, but just so you know, Cole historically comes first. Conan is the second uh, barbarian concept of Robert E. Howard, but as we all know, the much more successful. And and so Conan launches with his axes and his shields and swords and just all this dynamic action and always, you know, jacking up a crowd of of rowdies and 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 and, and slicing through, you know, hordes. Of, of other lesser barbarians and pirates and thieves and plunderers and and look at hits it, it this is a this 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 comic has an initial initially has a really great um you know reception and <clears throat> and so you know they're thinking hey we we found a new path and uh and and conan sells out first issue sells out at the distributor level newsstands don't have it they say hey you know we we, we don't have any more copies left and uh so Conan number one is the first appearance of Conan in a comic book. That is Conan's first appearance, okay? Um, it is looked at as heralding of the Bronze Age of comics. And again, people argue 1970 to 1972 is the beginning of the Bronze Age. So Conan does indeed, Conan number one launching in 1970 is seen as a changing of the guard in regards to the Bronze Era. Other people put the Death of Gwen Stacy storyline right in there which is gets you 71 72 so so Conan is really seen as a harbinger of a new age of comic book and uh you know and and uh this is one of the very first comic books that fell victim to speculators um yes speculators were alive and well during this period and 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 uh they were bought by the case by dealers who would then just put them away sit on them thinking hey man that this is going to accumulate value that Conan is a popular pulp series the books are being reprinted they're being seen in walden's books which was a popular mall book chain at the time and and uh they're being i remember as a kid you know early 70s seeing all these conan books with these frazetta covers that that um or later boris vallejo i mean the, the stuff that, that that roy thomas is speaking of here and so these speculators you know um sat on them and then in shortly started marking them up putting them out you'd see them at different garage shows, small shows with 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 higher price tags. So so Conan is seen as one of the very first comics that was openly speculated, uh, purchased with an appreciation of the product in mind. And uh, and and he said that Roy Thomas goes on to deal de- detail that some dealers figured out how to um, get their cases in the return market, even though vendors had said they'd sold out you know, they waited on vendors collecting some to send back in and, uh, and, and, and would, would intercept those books from them in order to fatten up their collection. Um, so, so this, this was the three distinctions. First appearance of Conan the Barbarian, harbinger of the Bronze Age of comics, and first heavily speculated, um, on comic book. But here's the deal. Conan then, and this is this is this is, this may be one of my favorite stories. Uh, Conan starts slowing down in sales. The first issue, got, get, you know, rockets out, you know, 
up the charts, big seller, big exciting speculation. But uh, it's also being nominated for awards, which is a key in, in helping Stan see the light to to keep it alive. Because when Stan decides, based on some some some, uh, some diminishing sales returns around issue six and seven, Stan's like, this isn't selling like where, where we hoped. You know, the numbers dropped, I guess, fairly quickly. I wasn't there, but history will record and, and no one better to record that than Roy Thomas, the author of the material himself says that Stan was really concerned and was like, you know what? Okay, so we're paying a license on this. We're paying that big $200, okay? Uh, I don't know how many years that covers, but, you know, they've got a cost associated with this beyond. They're, they're, they're getting Barry Smith, who is um, apparently also slowing down. Um, Barry really enjoys this new look he's developed. He's broken out of the Kirby mold. People are really digging it. They see that he's, you know, gone on to become his own master of the craft. I mean, people really dug this stuff. And Stan is also, just so you know, eyeing the fact that he can put Barry on another superhero book now. Barry is now hot because of Conan. Eight, seven, eight issues in, Barry's drawn issue eight when Stan is getting cold feet. And and he th- he thinks I can put Barry on 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 X Men. I can put him on. I can put him on uh, on 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 uh, Avengers. Get him on Fantastic Four. Get him on Defenders. Whatever we're doing, okay? He figures he can uh, he can move Barry around for maximum return. But uh, uh, Roy Thomas is is away at this time. He he was working at home, not in the office. When when Stan makes this decision. He comes in. So the, 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 the legend around this is that Conan was canceled for a day, okay? Or maybe a weekend. Stan decides on a Friday. Roy returns on a Monday and goes, what are you doing? And, and pleads with him like, okay, okay, if Barry, if you want to free up Barry, then we can get another artist, but just let's keep Conan going. We've got something here. Well, Stan makes the call that he believes he has cracked the code why Conan is not selling as good as it can. And he says three words. Three words that change the course of Conan. Too many animals. You got too many animals on these covers. And in fact, if you go back and you look at the covers of the Conan book, he is fighting tigers, bears, lions. He is... (laughs) He's not fighting enough humans, according to Stan Lee. Now, here's the deal. And and, and Stan wants to stop seeing Conan uh, battling all manner of animals because he believes that this is not a winning formula but um the uh the the and, and he also wants Conan to start battling more humans in the pages of the comics but uh you know again Stan is looking to grab Barry get out of the sword and sorcery adaptation concept because it's not Stan's thing I mean Stan really didn't have a history of creating any you know by this time Marvel is eight years old and, and, and is finding its way and is doing very well with superheroes. And other than this rocket out, out of the gates for Conan number one, Stan is believing that maybe this sword and sorcery thing isn't really what, what, what it's cracked up to be. Remember, Stan was very hesitant to pull the, 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 um, the trigger on Star Wars. We've covered that. There's an entire podcast about Star Wars and, and the licensing. And, and, uh, and, and I cover this in Cosmic Marvels. And, and it's a, uh, it's, it's where Stan had to be convinced, again, by Roy Thomas to adapt Star Wars and, and, and stay the course. That, that comic book keeps Marvel out of bankruptcy. They are, they are bleeding and about to go under, and Star Wars injects them with millions and millions of dollars across all platforms. So Conan is their first dip 
in the water with this. And again, Stan is uncertain. He's just not into these licenses. And, and again, Star Wars is just more space sorcery, okay? Well, he says, you don't have enough humans. Um, call off all these animals, okay? Um, and, and, and when he said animals, Roy's also referring to, he said giant monsters. You know, Stan is looking at every giant monster as just not a human. He says, we've got to see more humans. And here's the cool thing. Uh, Stan even suggested, because Julie Schwartz, big DC figurehead, DC editor, um, has has always said to Stan, skeletons sell best. Skeletons sell best. Now, now think about skeletons. Think about Ghost Rider. Think about the skulls on Punisher. Think about the skull iconography that you see in Spawn, okay? J Julie Schwartz had something going on here. I had a character in Youngblood that is very popular. His name is Chapel. He has a skeleton on his face. He is wearing a skeleton, okay? Julie Schwartz had told Stan that skeletons sell. Also, he said gorillas are a big seller too. Well, uh, Conan has, Roy has Conan depicting, Roy has Barry Smith depicting Conan facing off against skeletons and the sales on that issue take off, take off. And, uh, and so Conan is saved. They, they readdress the messaging on the cover. No more battling animals and giant monsters, more people, more conflict, more other dudes with swords. And mainly skeletons. Skeletons sell that issue. Rocketed shoots up, turns the trajectory around, and 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 around issue in the teens. Conan becomes a sales force. Now Barry Smith starts leaving the title because he has very stringent demands that he wants in regards to his art, and he's becoming more disenchanted with how his work is being depicted. And Barry wants to pencil and ink it himself. Look, let's let's fast forward this. Eventually, based on the success of Conan, they turn Savage Tales into the Savage Sword of Conan. It's a magazine. Now, let me tell you, this magazine actually outsells the the Conan comic book. So, so again, the newsstand magazine, which is again the size of a People magazine, the size of your tabloid magazines like the Star magazine, that the size of Home and Garden. These magazines had better distribution, in my opinion and comic books did at the time, being a child of this era, going to the grocery store with my mom. Uh, here's the deal. you got to remember, you're going to go because you want mom to buy you the chips you want. Cereals are booming at this time. Toys in cereals are huge. Kids were going with their parents to the grocery store to make sure you got cookie pops or you got honeycomb or you got, you know, uh, 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 Fruit Loops because they were coming with special games and toys and they were lame, but you wanted it. You wanted that toy, that little plastic figure, that little bouncing ball. And in fact, Star Wars cards and Battlestar Galactica cards were being put in Wonder Bread. I don't know if you remember Wonder Bread, but it was a huge bread competitor. It came in the white wrapping with the blue and yellow and red dots on it, circles. Wonder Bread did licensing deals at the back of the loaf, at the very back of the loaf. How many kids grabbed those loaves like I did? And with your fingers, because you didn't want to rip the plastic, your 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 the card is is behind the white painted part of the plastic and 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 or printed part of the plastic. And so you tried to smush and see, am I getting a Viper? Am I getting Apollo? Am I getting Darth Vader? Am I getting Luke Skywalker? So cards in bread, okay? This is the reason toys in cereal, candy bars, potato chips, and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica cards in Wonder Bread are why we are hopping on the cart and zooming up and out down those aisles with our parents. Again, you guys got to realize... 
what age am I? I am seven, I am eight, I am nine, I am 10, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm 10 in 1978, okay? Star Wars is a year behind me. I'm nine when Star Wars came, comes out. Okay, Conan comes out in 1970. I'm not buying it until about 1975. I love Conan. I love the visceral attitude, the swords, the bare chest, the loincloths, the sexy ladies, the other pirates and other sorcerers. And so, you know, Conan kicks down this door. And because of the popularity of the comic that surges, and Barry Smith is going to go off and do a two-part adaptation called Red Nails, which is one of the, if not the most reprinted Conan stories for a reason. It is premier peak Barry Smith, not peak Barry Windsor Smith, but peak Barry Smith, okay? This is where where Barry would ultimately exit comic books for several years, go on to become an illustrator, and he wouldn't come back until he started inking issues of Machine Man and then re-entered in the X-Men, the best-selling book in the market. That's his kind of quick overgloss of his career, but he kind of goes away and he says Marvel Comics, comic books in general, had lost their luster for him, but he wanted to pencil and ink his own work. He was tired of having guys who he didn't love. He even tried to shoot an issue off his pencils before he left and did Red Nails, and, and he thought that was kind of muddy and the technology wasn't quite there. He wanted to desperately have the exact way his work looked reflected. I know this as an artist. I've done this myself. I have I have gone down this path. And so he, he is having them shoot from his pencils at this point. But he goes off to do this adaptation that is originally going to appear and is one of the, and if you ever read the, the popular list of Conan the Barbarian, uh, you know, th- this, this Red Nails is always in the top three of the favorite stories that Barry did. He also did the Song of Red Sonia, where they introduced Red Red Sonia into the myth. I mean, all the Robert E. Howard characters are getting, you know, getting their uh, their their day in the sun based on Conan's now resurgence. They stuck with it. They changed the messaging. No more animals, more humans, skeletons. You know, Stan Lee listening to the voice of a competitor, skeletons. Okay. Conan picks up in sales. Conan starts becoming extremely popular. Conan gets a magazine, a black and white magazine, the Savage Sword of Conan. It outsells Conan. It becomes the more popular of the two. And here's the great thing about Conan and about Conan's legacy. It's got Barry Smith who launches it. It's got Gil Kane early on in Finland. It then gets John Buscema. They bring in John Buscema and this is where things just take off. And then it makes you think, no, no matter what this career trajectory and the heat that Barry Windsor Smith created, you have to go, what if it started with John Buscema? What if it started with one of Marvel's most accomplished artists at the time? What, I mean, he, he is doing Submariner, Silver Surfer, Avengers, Fantastic Four. I mean, he is the go-to Marvel guy. And let's just stop right here and understand that John Buscema is one of, if not the best, I've said this many times, this is never going to change, best illustrators that the comic book field ever saw. He's a little bit Hal Foster. He's a little bit Alex Raymond. He's a little bit Frank Frazetta. He's a little bit Jack Kirby. There's nothing he does not draw exceptionally well. He draws beautiful women, beautiful men, beautiful characters, uh, craggly old faces, very whimsical faces. He can he can do the brutish, handsome guy, the classic Steve Rogers, the brooding kind of thug of Conan, this this Hyborian kind of more of a broad nose, but still handsome and, and attractive, but broad and strong. He does great monsters. He draws horses, you know, animals, environments. But I think the reason he loved drawing fantasy is, again, it, it's away from the skyscraper, the grid of a city. It's more hills and valleys and jungles and different vistas. And, and John Buscema comes on uh, 
Conan and never looks back and does this insanely long run on the title. I mean, between Savage Tales, uh, Savage Sword of Conan, which started off being Conan featured in Savage Tales, and then uh, his regular Conan, and then Conan the King, which started out as King Conan. He has at least done 100 plus issues of Conan. Maybe not consecutively, but this dude, uh, you know, completely falls in love. And if John was still alive today, I believe that when he, you know, when Conan returned to Marvel, as it did a few years back, John would have been drawing it still had he lived. Because um, John honestly died relatively young and, and still quite capable in regards to how well he draws his brother Salbusema, who inked his early Conan issues and then went on to have his own penciling career of, of huge success. Again, all the same titles, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, um, the Hulk, and a long story around the Hulk, Rom, Sal Buscema, younger brother of John Buscema, still alive, has an Instagram page, posts new work, draws kick-ass commissions. I have no doubt that had John lived, he would be doing Conan today. But he jumps on, and at that point, there's no looking back. Conan is going up the charts. At some point, Conan is the fourth best-selling book for Marvel. I mean, you got Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and their re respective issues. We've gone through this. I mean, you got... Spider-Man, Marvel team-up, you got you got Fantastic Four, you got Thing and Marvel 2-in-1, that's for a reason. And then you got Conan. Conan was was knocking on the door of being Marvel's most popular comic, Savage Sword, the magazine. This magazine is the newsstands. It's next to Sports Illustrated. It's next to People Magazine. It's it's um it's readily available at the new at, at the grocery stores that I'm talking about at the at the food markets. It is uh, generally better displayed than the comic book racks, which are generally in the back of the you know. The, the, the stop and goes the 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 seven elevens the the you know the food markets okay the 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 spinner racks were not as always prominent but the magazine rack was well lit it was always in a really great place in the store on a major aisle maybe it was before you were going to get your pancake mix you know um um the the, the magazine aisle and savage sword of conan was right there earlier uh in an earlier episode where, where we detailed uh, kung fu fighting and the blast of martial arts influence across comic books and pop culture. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu had a enough to fill two omnibuses, 50 plus more issues in the same magazine style racked right there against Savage Sword of Conan, also produced by Marvel, both, both, both magazines. Marvel, the magazine business was a big deal to them. It attracted big names. John Buscema did stuff there. Barry Windsor Smith, Gil Kane, Neil Adams, okay? The, the, the great thing about Conan is its artistic pedigree, its artistic legacy is, is one of the strongest you're going to find in any catalog in comic books. I mean, I pound on the fact that uh, that 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 X-Men has this great, especially it goes from Cockrum, Byrne, Cockrum, Paul Smith. That is like wildly believed as the, the giant pedigree. I am not a fan of the John Romita Jr. Mar uh, uh, years on X-Men. I think they are um, ill-served. I think he was a bad fit for that book. Great artist, bad fit. Should do street-level characters. That's my take. Daredevil, Punisher, um, Batman. That's where Jr. lives. I think when he takes on team books, I don't. I don't think it's to his benefit. He does not. He does not draw a memorable Wolverine or Colossus or any of these characters to me. Not after following Paul Smith, John Byrne, Dave Cockrum. Mark Silvestri came in and the sales started to uh, heat up again and then obviously uh, kicked open the door for Jim Lee who was going to give you the most commercial X-Men since John Byrne. Okay, that is a tight artistic legacy but Conan doesn't have a John Romita Jr. running it, okay? 
John Buscema just does it forever. John Buscema was drawing it in the 70s. John, John Buscema was drawing it in the 80s, okay? Again, John Romita Jr., great artist, love his Daredevil, love his Iron Man, just not a fan of his X-Men. That's okay, I can do that. I don't have to be a fan of every song by a musician, every role an actor takes. I am not a fan of JR's X-Men, never have been, won't have some come-to-Jesus moment. I have them in... Uh, collected black and white newsstand editions to, to just study the line art. I have them all reprinted. I have the omnibuses. Again, my 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 change on that's not gonna not not going to change. However, again, street level heroes, I think he he just excels at. When he does Daredevil, when he does it with Frank, um when he does Batman, when he does Punisher, those are great comics. I think that's where his strengths are. I don't draw romance comics for a reason. We don't all have the same strengths. Uh, Conan has this in ridiculous pedigree. Sometimes Neil Adams is inking John Buscema, and that will blow your mind. The tribe, okay? Or and, and many hands jump in, and those many hands are freaking amazing. But what happens during this time is you've got Conan becomes an action figure with Mego, okay? And he's a part of the Marvel family of Mego dolls. Spider-Man, Falcon, Captain America, Thor, okay, Iron Man. Conan, Conan, right there. He is prominent on toy shelves all of a sudden there's gold coins these collector's coins there's collector stamps there's there uh, again he's got the magazines they spin off in 1980 they spin off king conan the older adventures of conan and his young son so marvel is at that point 10 years after publishing him they have three regular conan publications conan novels are taking off again they're they're issuing them more and more because exactly as that licensor said to roy thomas this would be good for the brand to get a marvel comic get it you know get it exposed the, the same comic that was almost canceled by stan but was argued given a a a, a, a retrieve a, a, a retrieval a reprieve uh, from Roy Thomas standing up saying, okay, we can move artists around. We can get somebody new. Maybe but Barry's too slow. You can use him on something else. Again, that didn't work. Barry does the Red Nails stuff for the Savage Sword of Conan, Savage Tales, and uh, and then really exits comics for a long time. But it is, get Red Nails. It is an adaptation of a Robert E. Howard story and Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith go to absolute town. It is gorgeous. It is lush. Even though it was created almost 50 years ago, it is just gorgeous. There is a hard-to-get, I'm looking at it on myself, art of book that was self-published by Mike Thibodeau, who um, has a lot of this art and knew how to ac uh, access this art. He's a huge uh, Kirby and Barry Windsor Smith collector, and uh, you would die if you had this. I mean, they're, they're, they're the book. It's printed at the size that the original boards were printed. But we are uh, halfway through this podcast, and the only fantasy comic we've talked about is Conan. we got to lay the roots down. we got to establish where it goes from here. Because of the success of Conan, Marvel gets cold. They do they start featuring cold. They, they do a book called Creatures on the Loose, which is a rotating um, uh, showcase for all these different barbarians. Solomon Cain, okay? Uh, uh, Thonagar. Thonagar gets his gets his time in the sun. Finally, Thonagar, who who Roy Thomas was originally going to go out and get, Thonagar kind of looks like Cole, has a headpiece, brown hair, barbarian, you know. Um, Thonagar, Solomon Kane, uh, you know, that the, the, they make a run at all of them. Cole, the Destroyer. Okay, they they all get their day to shine um, it, 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 under under the sun with Marvel because of the success 
of, of Conan. Marvel is looking for the next breakout. Marvel secures the license to John Carter, Warlord of Mars in 1978. It gets That first issue is penciled by Gil Kane and inked by Dave Cockrum. Do yourself a favor. Get the black and white reprint of that. There's a phone book. Uh, basically an essential of that. Dark Horse put it out. It mirrors the Marvel essential line where they do the the, the black and white liner. They shoot right from the art. Um, there's there's a Marvel, a uh, omnibus of John Carter, Warlord of Mars that they did several years ago. Um, again, Gil Kane, Rudy Nabriz, Frank Miller does his first published full-length story in John Carter, Warlord of Mars because now we're, 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 we're in fantasy. I mean, Conan and Cole... And Thonagar, and uh, and <laughs> um, uh, uh, Solomon Kane—they're battling sorcerers. They're bat- battling wizards. They're battling you know monsters. They're battling uh, uh, witches. Uh, so, so it's opening the door to the supernatural and 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 sorcery and magic. I mean, uh, some of some of uh, the great villains that that. Uh, that Conan battles are evil sorcerers and wizards. And I mean, you know, you go to the actual Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian movie, and, and you know, I mean, he is in battle with an evil, uh, an evil sorcerer. I mean, he, he is in, he is, uh, you know, in battle with James, is it James Earl Jones? Uh, I don't, I'm like, don't want to screw this up, but, uh, 1982's Conan the Barbarian film, you know, he is pitted against James Earl Jones, who is Thulsa Doom. And again, he's a magician, turns into snakes. I mean, come on, man, this is this is fantasy. That Arnold movie, what I'm trying to say is, 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 is that movie is fantasy. He is engaging in a fantasy. It, it blew up Arnold's career. It set him on the path of becoming a movie star. If you haven't seen the movie, John Milius, one of the best things he's ever directed. It's got humor. It's got great action. It's got great scale. It holds up. I watch it a couple times every year. Um, it is really superbly made. John Milius um, is is a beast. He, uh, he he then makes Red Dawn, which is a a really amazing, um, just just absolutely amazing uh, snapshot of the Cold War with Russia invading you know, the United States of America, of America, it's, it's, uh, he, he is, um, he did, uh, you know, Uncommon Valor also, um, he, he is, uh, just great. Conan the Barbarian is, is just, uh, just, just fantastic. And, uh, that, that is my, my personal favorite. He did not direct nearly as many movies as I had hoped that he would, but he was a big time screenwriter. Sometimes came in do did, did uncredited reshoots on big movies, but I but but Conan and uh, and Red Dawn are kind of like his two biggest uh, his two biggest claims to fame, and and uh, and I'm telling you again, Conan is a fantasy movie. It's a fantasy movie, and it kicks off a fantasy movement. And Cole is a fantasy character, and uh, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. You know, again. Um, now Edgar Rice Burroughs. We were at Robert E. Howard. Now we're in Edgar Rice Burroughs. But what happens here? We've been staying really solidly in the Marvel camp. But what happens is because Marvel goes to town and and, and does this real heavy investment in barbarians, um, because because he has, uh, because, you know, he is committed to this, that uh, Marvel is committed to this, and, and really, I mean, they are looking for another, that they are absolutely looking for, for a, another 
uh, successor to Conan this entire time. I mean, there, there's no slowing down in their pursuit of, again, you got three titles. You've got three titles that, that they've greenlit by 79, okay? So so you know that they are 100% uh, you know, invested in, um, in, in, in pursuing more of the same because, because this is, this, this is, this is the business they want to be in. This is what they want to do. This is these, so that's why they keep looking for other, uh, complimentary barbarians. But what is happening at DC comics? Well, I'll tell you the DC implosion, something we haven't truly discussed in, in all its glory is, is, is coming into view here because the DC implosion is is what actually keeps a lot of these from going to the next level. But by 1977, it is announced that DC is going to have their own line of fantasy heroes. And guys, I'm not just talking to one. I'm not talking to two. I'm not talking three. I'm not talking four. I'm talking seven. Seven fantasy titles. They even they, One of them, they never published. It was an adaptation of the King Arthur story in four parts by Nestor Redondo. We're going to get into that. That, that, that never occurs. They greenlight Kong. They greenlight Beowulf. They greenlight Stalker. They greenlight Warlord. They green, greenlight Claw, the Unconquered. They greenlight Tor, okay? Um, and, the, and the unpublished uh, uh, King Arthur that, that is going to be lavishly illustrated by Nestor Redondo. But uh, it, 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 I've got a house ad from DC Comics in 1977. DC presents fantasy at its very best in our all-new fantasy adventure line. And again, I'm looking at the pictures. Claw, Tor, Warlord, Stalker, Beowulf, Kong, Stalker, Stalker. I held this in my hands last night. I have this in, in my collection drawn by Steve Ditko, the same Steve Ditko that launched... Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, The Creeper, Hawk and Dove. The, uh, one of the, I mean, one of the Mount Rushmore guys. Not just Hall of Fame. Ditko is Mount Rushmore guy. He had a unique mind, a unique vision, a unique style. And uh, he showed up in spades with this fantasy book called Stalker. And no less than Wally Wood. If you've never heard me say Wally Wood, shame on me. He is one of the most brilliant artists of his era. Comes from the Silver Age with Jack Kirby accomplished penciler and inker became a really sought out embellisher at this point in his career embellishing i mean everyone from keith giffen on the justice society books to steve ditko on stalker um he 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 would yeah you know ink frank miller on on a daredevil cover that you have to see to believe um wally wood uh huge influence on guys like jerry ordway uh mike macklin um, uh, Dave Stevens. I mean, Wally Wood was a giant, one of the best embellishers. He deserves his own uh, place in the sun, but no less than a giant that is Wally Wood finishes another giant called Steve Ditko in the pages of Stalker. But Stalker follows the same pattern that Claw the Unconquered and Kong, I think it's Kong the Untamed, um, Beowulf, DC is investing in seven different fantasy titles for a reason. Only one of these makes it out. Only one of these titles punches through. And that is Warlord, which is in the same early kind of first issue special, uh, DC's version of like a, of a premiere showcase book. 
Um, Warlord punches out and becomes its own huge, giant success. But out of all these, Beowulf doesn't happen, Kong doesn't happen, and Wyoming doesn't happen, they don't take flight. Tor, Claw, they get a couple issues. Claw, the Unconquered, is ex he looks exactly identical, exactly identical to Conan the Barbarian. Okay, and here's the thing. Claw has no shirt. Tor has no shirt. Uh, Kong has no shirt. Conan has no shirt. Cole sometimes wears, you know, chainmail. So I am in my store. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out to Tustin Tunes and Toys, one of the very best comic stores in Orange County. I frequent it a lot. The guys there are, <laughs> they're the best. And, uh, and I was seeking out some issues of Tarzan, of, of no less, okay, a couple years back. And, uh, and I am I am seeking out uh, <laughs> uh, Tarzan and and uh, and and uh, I, I I they have a really good back issue selection and uh, and and uh, you know I, I figure why not and Mike at 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 you know at TNT I, I say hey man you, you got any uh you know you got any Tarzans I'm just gonna I'm, you know before I start digging I just want to see maybe you got. Maybe you got some Tarzans. And he goes, um, dude, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't carry shirtless guys. Nobody's shirtless. Uh, we don't display them. I don't invest in them. I don't buy them because, uh, frankly, they, they, they don't sell. I go, what are you talking about? Shirtless guys. And he's like, Rob, Kazar, Tarzan, Kill Raven. Um, if they don't got a shirt, they don't sell. They don't make me money. They don't work. And, and I, and, and I just, got the biggest kick just blanketed blanketed across the across uh, across the board shirtless guys shirtless guys don't sell okay shirtless guys <laughs> don't sell and uh and 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 and, and that has all and, and literally i mean the one thing that unites all these guys i just i just talked to you about claw all, all these characters um you know that, that they are the shirtless the shirtless wonders and uh and big mike he 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 Got a, he, I mean, that's a big, that was a big kick to me that Kazar and Conan and Killraven and, and, and I mean, and Tarzan and, 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 and Claw, all these, I'm not going to get them there. Commandy. He, he, he mentioned Commandy too. He said, Commandy, these guys in shirt, shirtless guys, I don't, I, I can't move them. Never have been able to. And I, I did, I walked out going, huh, obviously this did not extend to Conan. He did not put Conan there, but every knockoff of Conan uh, Mike had had basically determined was a shirtless guy and he doesn't carry shirtless guys and he doesn't invest in those back issues because those don't sell. And that just made me cry. You are going to go all over this land if you go to all these different comic book dealers and eventually you're going to butt heads, knock, knock into somebody who has a really interesting take and that is one that has never left me. Me and my friends, we continue to talk about it and uh, and obviously I have a Kill Raven series, five issues that I penciled Robert Kirkman wrote that is in a drawer at Marvel and I have to believe that it is plagued by the shirtless guy manifesto somewhere that 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 is not just something that Mike said to me at a comic book store it, it carries further but so DC Comics has decided they are going to go all in and, I'm, and, and and as I've already told you the 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 winner of all this is Warlord but we have just begun to scratch the surface on this fantasy sword and sorcery stuff and 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 yet DC, gets a strong entry. They, 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 they step up big with their addition and, and, and exploration and publication of Mike Grell's The Warlord. 
So Mike Grell is the author, illustrator, creator, writer, artist of The Warlord, which was the only uh, book title character of the fantasy line of books that DC had um, that that had announced that did not survive the dreaded DC implosion. Sidebar: The DC implosion is uh, the late seventies. DC had an expansive uh, list of new books that they were going to do, up to twelve new comics they were going to add to their line. This this fantasy portion of it was was represented about six or seven of them, and then the publisher and the distribution. Uh, ran into a huge issue. I mean, this is kind of the same issue that was plaguing uh, Marvel at the time. Given that the distribution uh, uh, at the distribution level that there were some challenges and 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 the uh, and the outlets were kind of uh, drying up. What powered Marvel through was Star Wars. Okay, as we've said, it brought in millions and millions and millions of dollars. Jim Shooter, the editor in chief of Marvel, is on record stating this. Roy Thomas, who uh, convinced. Uh, uh, Stan to do Star Wars has, has stated that Stan Lee in his foreword to the little uh, mini pocketbook reprint of Marvel's Star Wars adap- adaptation uh, stated this. There have been times, even, even known professionals who have uh, risen up to challenge me about even a decade or, or seven years ago, complete, and they, and they worked at Marvel. Like these, these people who work at Marvel sometimes are more uneducated of as to the history of the of the company than you could possibly imagine. And and we're like, well, this isn't true. And and these the same guys who also challenged that the giant size X Men was part of a marketing initiative to expand the global audience, which is why Giant Size X-Men number one has an African, has a Russian, has a German, has a Japanese character, has a has a Canadian. Um, that was all by design because X-Men wasn't working and they decided to, you know, c- kind of use it as an experimental Petri dish of, hey, what if we made this really an, an international cast of characters? So so the, 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 I have had people at Marvel who actually worked in the X office challenge that only to then go, oh, I, I guess that was true. It's just weird. Um, I try and share stuff with you guys that is that is ridiculously vetted. And, um, and, and I may call a publisher an editor sometime or an editor and a publisher, but you're not, uh, you know, I try and keep my creators and creations um, matched up. And, and 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 my facts as as solid as I possibly can, but but the DC implosion, uh, they didn't have Star Wars to ride that out, and they they cut their line, they they cut back, hence the implosion. All these these they bought giant house ads repeatedly of the new line of books and the reboots and and the new characters they were introducing, and again these 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 fantasy characters that I shared with you, they were part of it, and and yet of it all. A book called Warlord. Now, let me tell you something. What Warlord had going for it, it was part. It was in a first issue special. DC, DC's kind of version of Marvel Premiere, Marvel Spotlight, Marvel Feature, which where, where Marvel did these one shots or, or or two part stories where they would introduce you to a new character or expand you on a character. Um, the, the 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 DC version of that was first issue special. So Warlord actually appears in 1975. So that is five years into this fantasy boon for Marvel. And again, I cannot underscore for you how much Marvel was chasing uh, this fantasy dollar via through the through the the lens of Conan the Barbarian. Remember, okay, Captain America doesn't have three books this time. Okay, Iron Man doesn't have three books. Daredevil does not have three titles. Okay, Spider-Man is branching out to two titles at this time. Conan goes to three titles. 
Okay, they, by 1979, they have greenlit three Conan titles. You got Savage Sword of Conan, the magazine, which is outselling the actual Conan the Barbarian comic book. Conan the Barbarian comic book is a top four, top five seller for Marvel. And then they do King Conan, which they later renamed Conan the King because they want all the Conan books right next to there. They don't want a Conan book listed in the K. They want it C and C. So, but, but King Conan launched... In 1980, having been greenlit in 1979, all of this on the back of all of this Conan success. So, of course, like they said, they went and got Robert E. Howard's original Barbarian, Cole, the Barbarian, which, which Robert E. Howard and others have, have referred to, and Robert E. Howard's estate has said that they realized that part of the reason Cole um, maybe wasn't as... Uh, didn't take as he's more of the thinking man, the intellectual barbarian. He's a ruler. He's a king. He he's more methodical. He's not this crazy berserker who rides into a new adventure town each and every week. Adventure town is a term in television where, like every western you've ever seen, Alias Smith and Jones, you know, Big Valley, the Virginian, they're always riding into a new town. Kung Fu with David Carradine had the adventure town. Uh, 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 th theme, uh, alias Smith and Jones, uh, Smith and Jones always were going into a new town every week encountering new adventures. Uh, Bill Bixby, uh, used the fugitive model when, when he portrayed the incredible Hulk, David Banner on the CBS hit, uh, you know, version of the Hulk, like the fugitive goes into a new town every week, encounters new people with problems, with crisis, with conflicts and consequences. That's adventure town. Conan was, Hyborian age, barbarian adventure town, and 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 so King Cole was always more kind of you know hanging around and it wasn't as adventurous and on the high seas and, and 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 traveling as much and also didn't have that berserker rage. Fury was also again like we said, Conan wore many many hats. He was a pirate, a thief, a smuggler, a, a, a barbarian. Um, and, and eventually, obviously, in the spinoff, a king. They gave him a son. It was cool. And again, John Buscema, the Roy Thomas John Buscema team was not broken up. They continued on. John was just a workhorse. He could do all of this. He could do it all so effortlessly. I think also, again, as I've stated earlier in this podcast, that I think guys like John Buscema, and we're going to get further into it in the next part of our exploration of fantasy because there's too much to cover today. Uh, I think part of the appeal, and Mike Grell will do the same, with Warlord is these vistas, these 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 um, kind of old school uh, landscapes and and fantasy realms that they can illustrate that are more more fun. I've done it myself. They're more fun than than downtown another battle in downtown Manhattan. Whether it's Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four, Avengers, X Men, you know, and and having to to do that grid and all those buildings. Uh, whether it's Los Angeles, Chicago, whatever big city, these 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 fantasy landscapes. Lend yourself, lend themselves to such a, uh, a I will just say a, a, a more entertaining, a fun experience. So here's the deal. So <laughs> Warlord, um, you, you know what? Before I do Warlord, one last thing: that the 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 boon, the absolute boon in the fantasy heroes. Again, not just King, King Cole. Marvel did did did. Marvel spun off Red Sonia. We got to give the females their, their day in the sun. They took Red Sonia. The Robert E. Howard estate was fully well. I mean, the best thing they ever did was accept Roy Thomas's $200 licensing fee. And and Roy and Red Sonia is then the next out the gate. And 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 you got Cole, Red, Red Sonia, and you've got uh, 
Conan, so the Robert E. Howard estate going, well, you know, the worst we could do is be exposed this way during Mar through Marvel Comics, and it, it created all of these spinoffs. And then they did Kill Raven, featured in War of the Worlds. He's kind of a barbarian in the future. More on him at, at another date. Skull the Slayer was a new launch in the Bronze Age in 1970, um, 1975. And, uh, and, and Skull the Slayer, uh, that sound you, <laughs> you just heard, was a first ever, my waving hand hit my microphone. Forgive me. Um, we're keeping that in here. The... Uh, so Skull the Slayer went on to 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 be like I think five issues. Um, that then then you had then you you had the them them uh, dance with uh, with with uh, Solomon Kane featuring him in the Marvel Premiere comics. Uh, the aforementioned Thonagar became the feature featured player in in Creatures on the Loose. You had Gulliver Jones. How many of you have heard of Gulliver Jones, Warrior of Mars? He predates John Carter's. Warlord of Mars by quite some time. Um, Gulliver Jones, Warrior of Mars, was a uh, a, a a story. Uh, Gulliver Jones, His Vacation, was written by Edwin Lester Arnold and it was published in 1905. Gulliver Jones is in the public domain, and I am definitely doing something with Gulliver Jones because I am 100% all sold. 100% all in on Gulliver Jones, Warrior of Mars. They, they have. Ironically, the exact same storyline that, that John Carter would later lift, um, it, is, it is the tale of an army officer who wishes to escape the drudgery of the bureaucracy of the modern world. He is literally swept on a mar magic carpet to Mars, and on the red planet, he is given superpowers, the, the different, uh, the different um, climate and, 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 uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, surroundings. Of, of, of Mars give him super strength, su super speed, super power to leap, and he's stronger, and he's drawn into a violent Martian conflict, okay? Uh, this story by, by, by uh, Lester Arnold was, was, was met with mediocrity. It was not, you know, warmly received, so he never did another follow-up. Marvel would do five issues of Gulliver Jones based on this public domain story, and, and yet later on down the line, a couple of years later, Edgar Rice Burroughs would basically do the exact same story, okay, and uh, and create uh, <laughs> John Carter, Warlord of Mars, okay. So so who you know? Look, it's it's a copycat business. This is what we're talking about: the 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 the, the barbarians at the gate, baby. This is this is how I mean. This is how they kicked all this stuff off, and uh, so Marvel had had dipped their toe, not just with Conan, but with John Carter, Warlord of Mars, with Thonagar. With, with, uh, with who, 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 Roy Thomas thought he was going to buy in the first place. Okay, he thought he was going to go get Thonagar because he couldn't afford Conan. With Cull, with Red Sonia, with Skull the Slayer, with Solomon Kane, with Kill Raven. I mean, they really dipped their toe looking for their next giant fantasy franchise. Conan had more titles. Okay, at this point than the Fantastic Four did. It, 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 there was not two Avengers titles at this time. There were three Conan Avengers. I'm, I'm just going to keep beating that into your into your dome because, again, DC Comics. I mean, I'm going to give you the full list of everything they tried. They tried Iron Wolf, fantasy character. They tried Atlas, a, a Jack Kirby one-shot. They did a series of Beowulf, the Dragon Slayer. I think it was five issues. They did Claw, the Unconquered, about five issues. Claw looks exactly like Conan, by the way. Kong the Untamed. All of these run about five, eight issues. They did Tor. They did Stalker. 
They did Hercules the Unbound, which is great. It has art by, uh, it's one of the longer running ones, maybe 10 issues or more. Uh, John uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez did Hercules Unbound, and Walt Simonson wrapped it up with a killer uh, several issues. They did uh, Arak, Son of Thunder in the in the 80s, Orion, so so, so Camelot 3000, the, the Adam. Our, our our friend Ray Palmer, the Atom of the Justice League, becomes a fantasy hero in Sword of the Atom. Gil Kane decides to shrink him down, put him in the jungles, meet meet a fantasy uh, realm of of characters. So so and, and of course we we have the breakout of DC, which in 1975 uh, publishes Mike Grell's The Warlord. The Mike Grell has done uh, at this point. He has done the Legion of Superheroes. He follows Dave Cockrum on the Legion of Superheroes, which was a fan favorite comic, okay? And and Mike Grell came in and fans loved it. I was there. I bought the Mike Grell uh, Legion of Superheroes um, following Dave Cockrum. I got in on the end of Dave Cockrum's run as a kid. I loved the Legion's uh, bright and shiny costumes. They, they, they were like the X-Men in space to me. I mean, Wildfire, Dawnstar, uh, Colossal. Colossal Boy, Ultra Boy, Timberwolf, Brainiac 5. The, these characters are still not being serviced properly by DC Comics. Shame on them. They, they, these are such great characters and they had such a long shelf life of popularity, notoriety, influence from the 70s to the 80s. But Mike Grell picked up and part of the reason I loved the Legion was Mike Grell's artwork. It was kind of a, in the very much in the Neil Adams vein. Dave Cockrum had some Neil Adams in him as well. Okay, and you can see it, especially in Giant Size X-Men number one and, and from his later Legion all the way through his first run of the X-Men, you can see the Neil Adams in, in Dave Cockrum, especially when he goes further, closer on the faces and the renderings, um, the three-quarter views, the straight-on views. He is definitely, uh, as, as so many people are, Neil was a giant, I mean, G Neil Adams was a meteor that hit comic books and, and resonated so deeply. And uh, Mike Grell has... Tremendous Neil Adams in his work, but Mike Mike Grell is an accomplished storyteller, page designer, and a workhorse. The guy just produced at a very high level. He did a extended run on, on Legion of Superheroes, and he did these giant Treasury editions. I mean, he really became the face of the Legion for several years. Uh, great covers, great interiors. Loved every book he did. Jim Shooter, in his later before Jim Shooter goes and 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 becomes an editor and then editor in chief. Of Marvel Comics, he is writing some of my favorite Legion stories. There's um, we'll, we'll do a Legion episode. That they're due. I'll do it under the like the greatest comic you've literally never heard of because they have never put it back on a perch. I have not seen one uh, property that just sh shined so brightly for such an extended period of time and then completely mismanaged, abandoned, and and never fully repaired again and, and restored. Restored, I guess, is the best, the better word. But Mike Grell builds his fan base on Legion, goes and does Green Lantern, okay, for an extended period of time, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Again, kind of uh, now de definitely following in Neil's footsteps. And uh, it is, is picking up a lot of acclaim, is, is a fan favorite at DC Comics. He has a proposal called Savage Empire. Right now in my hands, I have a... Uh, DC did these digests. They did so many of them. This is uh, number 10 at the time uh, of, of probably the 30 or 50 that they ended up doing. They called them DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest. They reprinted, this is in 1980, they reprinted a, the Deimos Saga, which was the strongest um, the strongest run 
that Mike Grell had. Uh, it, it was a really strong early storyline that he had in in Warlord, and it ran it ran uh, uh, se se several several issues. It's it's oh, so so they they reprinted four or five issues in this digest that is just fantastic. But in the back here, let's let's go. It says, "Meet the man behind Warlord." And and it this is Iron Mike Grell, okay? Grell, born in 1947 in in, in Florence, Wisconsin. Um, Mike's exploits are almost as varied as those of Travis Morgan, his comic book counterpart. Warlord is the story of Travis Morgan, whose plane crashes, uh, it, like somewhere in the Antarctic, and 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 he comes out through through a portal that introduces him to the world of Skataris, okay? And, and Skataris is where he will spend 133 regular issues plus six annuals. Warlord was a giant hit. You're, you're talking 133 issues, and you're like, Rob, I've never heard of Warlord. It was a staple of the late 70s all the way through the mid-80s. Um, 133 issues of Warlord. When I tell you that they found their hit, they found their fantasy hit, they found it in Warlord. There was even a brief in the 80s, a, a toy line. They did four action figures from Warlord. But um, Mike Grell, who had uh, illustrated Aquaman, Batman, the Legion of Superheroes, Green Lantern, host of other favorites, uh, had a uh, had had a uh, a sample story, a, a comic strip that he had produced called The Savage Empire. And that's what he used to get hired. Just like I use Youngblood samples to get hired at, 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 uh, at Marvel. Mike Grell had a comic strip called The Savage Empire that he showed to editor Julie Schwartz at DC Comics to get work, which he got in the early 70s. But once he became acclaimed on Legion of Superheroes and Green Arrow, Green Lantern, he said, hey, I would like to dust off my Savage Empire strip and give it a facelift. The resulting overhaul was Warlord, the creation of a brand new legendary mythos, and, and Skataris is basically um, set at the center of the earth. And, and in the 70s, there was great, you know, journey to the center of the earth, um, you know, battle at Middle Earth. I mean, there was all these different um, comic stories. There were movies. Um, Middle Earth, core of the earth is a, is a great, um, I mean, we just watched a Godzilla King Kong movie where, you know, a giant significant, a very significant piece of the mythology, as well as we spent uh, extended time in the movie itself at the, in, in the core of the earth. So Skataris is this mythical realm that for 133 issues plus six annuals, Mike Grell explores at, at great um, length and opportunity with his hit, The Warlord. Warlord really becomes, it was a one of my top DC comics at the time. I was uh, quick to buy each and every um, issue that, and, and Mike Grell was like, I mean, he, he wrote penciled, sometimes inked every single issue. He was so committed to this. This is his most, this is his long, longest um, book for either Marvel or DC. He really was a, a DC guy first and foremost. Um, the, the, he, he, he meets this beautiful woman, Tara, and, and, and again, the great battle guy that he battles again and again is Deimos, but he, there's all sorts of different worlds that he encounters. Uh, uh, the first issue special that features uh, Travis Morgan and introduces us to the world of Skataris is in 1975 in the first issue special. Uh, but then they launch Warlord immediately in 1976, and, and this goes through 1983. Again, just an astounding accomplishment 
for for a fantasy hero at that time. Meanwhile, again, over at at uh, at Marvel Comics, we 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 were watching Conan become the subject of What If, a couple of different What If that the, the great you know um, alternate reality comic book series that we've covered here um, that I that I've called Marvel's secret weapon. You know, nowadays Conan is indeed standing next to Venom and Elektra and Wolverine, part of the Savage Avengers. It is the brilliance, the absolute brilliance of when they got the Conan license back after whatever nineteen years. Uh, having having um, Dark Horse took it over in 2000, as I said earlier on in this podcast. And, and when Marvel brought it back, I was like, wow, scoreboard, this is huge. Get Fulfilling the what-ifs of what if Conan walked amongst us today? What if Conan you know, was alive in, 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 in modern Marvel Universe? They, they did that twice. They did two of their most successful what-ifs. And they weren't able to reprint them for so long because, again, the, the rights were lost. But by saying, now we're going to open up a mystical portal, whether it's Thoth, Amon, or Thulsa Doom, I forget which villain it was, but that, 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 that um, they're going to cross over, and, and Conan can actually walk into the Marvel Universe, and so can his villains, and, and, and Venom, and, and the Marvel heroes, whether it's Venom or Elektra, or Wolverine can go into the Hyborian Age with him. So, so, so having Conan now interact with the modern Marvel Universe is fantastic. It is brilliant. And, and, but this is all part of what was going on in the late 70s as Conan, um, as, as Red Sonja would team up with Spider-Man in, in an issue that I think is still problematic for them to reprint. They actually um, uh, uh, did one rep- one trade paperback of, Mar- of, of uh, Spider-Man's team-ups in the Fireside books, and we are going to cover the Fireside books in an upcoming episode because that they are ripe for exploration. These are the killer... Um, uh, the the earliest graphic novel trade paperbacks of of my generation, uh, the first of a generation, and 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 the earliest that that people who are my age encountered. And I mean, there's like ten or twelve of these, and and these were the hottest books at the bookstore. And if you could get them or check them out at the library, but Fireside Books did a Marvel team up uh, reprint. I have it, and the Red Sonia Spider Man story is there because again, the, the they had the Robert E Howard Estates license for. For almost 30 years, okay? So, so, but once they lost it, um, it's problematic to reprint that story, but it's by John Byrne and Terry Austin, no less. You didn't expect that slam dunk. Terry Austin comes into ink the one issue of Marvel Team Up over John Byrne. It is considered one of their finest, if not the actual best issue that they produced together. So, Red Sonia, hang out with Spider Man, okay? King, King, uh, King Cole is in an issue of Marvel Team Up. I mean, Robert E. Howard's estate is interacting. This is how popular they are. They are interacting with Marvel proper, with Thing, with with uh, with Spider-Man. They are with Marvel's top tier characters at that time. So it's great that now they're running around with them in the modern day in the pages of Savage Avengers. Conan is in fact an Avenger, isn't that? That's just cool. But um, so so again, the sword and sorcery heroes have taken over, and I have listed um you know, almost a two dozen different titles that both Marvel and uh, and DC uh, attempted to duplicate this success that they had with uh, with Conan the Barbarian. I mean, other publishers, uh, Atlas Comics, a short-lived kind of um, Marvel knockoff, uh, did, a, did, a, did a fantasy hero called Iron Jaw. It had Neil Adams covers. But, you know, I cannot encourage you enough to go and check out both Mike Grell's Warlord run because it's brilliant. And once he is done on the art chores, Dan Jurgens, it's one of his earliest assignments before he becomes Dan Jurgens, who, who becomes kind of the modern day uh, 
Superman uh, expert, in my opinion. I, I believe the guy who I most uh, associate Superman with in the modern era is Dan Jurgens. Before he became the Superman, uh, the face of the Superman franchise, Dan Jurgens cut his teeth uh, following Mike Grell on on Warlord. It's great stuff. It's 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 fantastic stuff. This book is is highest possible recommendation. As is all of the, the whether it's Barry Windsor Smith. Gil Kane, dude, dude, there is Gil Kane inked by Neil Adams. There's an entire issue where Gil Kane is inked by Neil Adams. The, 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 the artistic history of Conan, whether it's Conan or Savage Sword, is, again, one of the most, it's why it's enduring, is the art is so great across the board. And when John Buscema is inked by Alfredo Alcala, or if he is inked by Rudy Nabriz, or, or uh, I mean, the, the results are spectacular. They are just spectacular. Ernie Chan, um, th these are these are beautiful comics. Barry Windsor Smith, Barry Smith, uh, you know, Gil Kane, Neil Adams, John Buscema. It just doesn't get better than this. These are beautiful comics. Mike Grell on Warlord is inspired. He, every issue, page two and three was a double page splash. Warlord had a double page splash on. On, on pages two and three, it was riveting. It always grabbed your attention. Great covers, great storytelling, great action. And again, what does this boil down to? Dudes with swords, swords and guns, swords and guns and shields. That is what Gulliver Jones, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, uh, Kill Raven, that's what they all have encountered. They're these warrior mentality, these fantasy warriors. But we have we have done all of this and 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 still have not gotten to where the fantasy that doors kick just blow off the, the the hinges because we have not discussed elf quest we have not discussed weird world warriors of the shadow realm we have not discussed jeff smith's bone we have not discussed joe Madiera's battle chasers these are fantasy titles the, the 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 mantle is picked up and carried and and i will absolutely circle back to each and every one of these titles as we continue to explore the history of sword and sorcery fantasy comics because really before you know you had the lord of the rings ralph bakshi uh uh, uh 1979 theatrical release i saw it on opening night um it was very disjointed because they they didn't get uh return of the king they only had like like a piece of the two towers and 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 all of the first lord of the rings book but you had the the hobbit was, was done by Rankin and Bass, and that was shown on television, and then Return of the King was done by Rankin and Bass. The way those those rights got got um, got um split up so that the Tolkien estate had basically three different animated features, but Ralph Bashkies, which was the most critically acclaimed, but also a little disjointed, but, but way far superior in the illustration and animation realm because Ralph is a, you know, master of, of, the, of the craft, of the form, and... Uh, and, and th those were coming out in the late 70s, okay? And those start, uh, I don't think we get there, I don't think we get to that place unless Marvel decides to go all in on Conan. Stan Lee decides that he's going to stay the course. Roy Thomas says, stay with it. And it changes comics. We are the pulp heroes of the pulp novels are now mainstream Marvel superstars. And, and again, I just cannot uh, tell you enough how much success marvel had had with this the, again closing out this remember conan had more comics than captain america than iron man he had more comics than the fantastic four he had more comics than the avengers he was highly marketable successful mainstream and and very profitable for marvel and that created a copycat syndrome 
of where a new, you know, arms race of sword and sorcery titles that set us on the course that we are on today that, you know, finally we get some great fantasy and uh, in, in cinemas. And, and as well, I, I think Commandy somewhat fits in this Kirby's Commandy, but, but definitely Thundar the Barbarian, okay? Which we're going to cover at another time because you can't do Alex Toth and you can't have Jack Kirby and you can't have Steve Gerber and you can't have episodes, you know, written by, by Roy Thomas and not discuss Thunder the Barbarian. But again, 1982, fantasy comes in, 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 in the best possible way to your Saturday morning uh, TV set with Thundar, his sun sword, Ukla the Mock, Princess Ariel, and, and this new fantasy landscape of, of this broken earth that is post-apocalyptic, the moon broke in half, the gravity came, the uh, tidal waves and earthquakes ravaged Earth, and now you've got this entirely new fantasy populace. It is fantastic. Thundar the Barbarian, we don't get Thundar without Conan. You can draw a straight, direct line. That is not happening. Conan, 1969, the decision to pursue it, 1970, publishing it. Conan sets comics on a brand new course, the fantasy sword and sorcery realm, which we've never looked back on. Um, it has been super popular. It has leveled off at times, but it is a mainstay. All because Roy Thomas and Gil Kane was dragging Roy, Roy Thomas to do a Conan comic book because he loved those, those 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 novels. And Roy, the boy, goes on his search and comes back and, and brings back this giant, giant piece of really what become a, a legend in comics. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. The long and the short of it is... Uh, is uh is 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 I just appreciate you guys hanging out. We are gonna do another episode. I love talking about this sword and sorcery fantasy. We're gonna do a, another uh another installment of this down down the down the down the way a bit. Um but again I cannot tell you how much I am appreciating you guys are just uh are 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 just doing so much in in regards to your support for this show and, and in keeping with 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 me asking you to subscribe to promote, to tell a friend, to share your passion with this podcast with someone else. Um, I just want to, uh, to to continue to share your reviews. The reviews are great. I, I appreciate them so much. This is from Robert, forgive me, Negosco, N-E-G-O-E-S-C-O. I don't know how to pronounce that otherwise. Robert Negosco, um, he, he, he writes extremely entertaining and knowledgeable. This is a great podcast. Observations is a deep anal analysis of the great landscape of pop culture we all currently inhabit and an exploration of the works that inspired and made the entertainment culture of today possible. Rob consistently gives excellent insight into the great works of comic book history and gives definition and context to a great deal of the shifts and transformations of the comic book industry of which he experienced so much himself or has spoken firsthand to the creator's who did. The excitement is infectious. This podcast has me digging for back issues dozens of times by now, and I have read some awesome comics because of these recommendations, and I have reevaluated past works I had previously dismissed or disliked. Thank you, Robert Negosco. Um, I want to read this from J.P. Groom, late guy, okay? I, I think this name wins, wins the day. J.P. Groom, late guy. J.P. Groom, late guy. Um, greatest podcast ever. Well, I, I do appreciate the hype. I'm all about the hype. It says, I live, this, his, his, the review says greatest podcast ever. Five stars, thank you very much. I live 
for my weekly doses of observations, a great history lesson of comics from a true insider and entertaining to boot. Rob should take up voice acting. His impersonations are spot on. More Toddy Mac interviews. Bud, Bud, Todd loves Robbie. Okay. Hey, thank you for the great reviews that you guys are, are, are giving me. Thank you for sharing your word of passion for this show. Um, look, today, got across that bridge. Can't, can't not embrace Warlord, Conan, the fantasy comics that changed and shaped us, that gave us, uh, again, I, I don't think we get to Lord of the Rings. I don't, you know, 20 years ago, Lord of the Rings, 51 years ago, Conan. You can draw the direct lines, the entertainment. Uh, Conan put Marvel Comics, that brand, what they're doing in films now, they were doing in comics. They were the industry leader for a reason. They took really, they took great strides, great, um, gr great chances, big gambles, and and so often they paid off. Um, so guys, thank you everyone for listening. I love sharing this time with you. I love hanging out with you. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Robert Liefeld, the full name. Okay, uh, find me, bookmark me. I love talking to you guys. I love sharing. Um, even, even the last episode, I mean, well, there's always so much great dialogue, uh, to be found, um, on social media. Thank you for reaching out, for hanging out with me, for, for, for talking to me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. Um, both have blue checks. That's really me. Um, thanks for interacting with me. I love talking to you guys. I'm all over Facebook. Uh, I'm trying to behave and be, and, 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 and behave, you know, and, and, uh, and, and keep myself, you know, uh, 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 well behaved. So, so, so if you, if you, if you reach out to me and I, I love to hear from you guys, let's continue to do this, uh, talk and discussion on social media. Thanks for your support. I am currently producing the finale of Snake Eyes Endgame. It is inked by all of the industry legends, some of which I can't say. You've seen the Neil Adams pages. You've seen the Jerry Ordway pages. You've seen the Wills Portacio, the Phil Philip Tan pages, but there are so much I have yet to show you. It's coming together. It's going to um, come out right before the Snake Eyes movie. You're going to dig it. I am doing a relaunch of Archie Comics, The Shield, the original patriotic character that's coming out in June. You cannot afford to miss it. I am hiding those pages for a reason. I'm so proud. I am so excited. I am doing 30 covers for Deadpool's 30th anniversary. They're on the Marvel Comics. Um, we'll ask your retailer if you can order them. They are special variants that come with a, a wide variety of titles that Marvel puts them on. I have currently drawn about 17, 18 of them. Um, we are, you know, by, by, by midsummer, I'll, I'll have drawn all 30 and you'll get all of them by the end of the year. I am working on some top secret projects. Okay. That, that you're going to find out about soon enough, but it's always exciting. I love drawing comics, telling stories, bringing those stories to you. I love this podcast and sharing my passion with comics and connecting all that pop culture dots, all those dots. So you guys, you know, the drill, you are going to take care of yourself. Rainbows are coming. The sun is rising. Better days are ahead for all of us. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. We're going to talk again real soon.